So last time I was up here in uh, December, I used my wife Kathy in a uh, sermon illustration, and she had asked me before I was going to teach, am I a sermon illustration? And I said no. And then I did use her as a sermon illustration. And that resulted in an interesting conversation when we got home. So, so yesterday, Kathy asked me, am I a sermon illustration? And I said, uh, no, honey, you're not. And she said, did you just lie to me? And I said, no, honey, I did not. Um, so you are not a sermon illustration today, honey. But I do actually want to just give credit to my wife. Um, today, this, and I'm giving credit because this happens very rarely, that uh, today I had a number of people come up to me and compliment me on how I'm dressed. On, you look really good. Your colors match and nice outfit and all this kind of stuff. And I just kept saying, if those of you who made that comment to me, the first words out of my mouth was, Kathy dressed me. (laughs) Kathy dressed me. That's the story of my life. So if I look halfway decent and if you think I do today, kudos to Kathy. Thank you very much, honey. So that's it. That's the only time I'm going to mention you today, sweetie. So, I think. <clears throat> so, uh, so today we're continuing on with our study in Ephesians. Uh, I, I really hope that you are enjoying this study. Ephesians, <sighs> Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is just so rich. Uh, today we're looking at Ephesians 6.10. Uh, we're going to Read 11, we're going to mention 11 just a little bit, but we're really focusing in on 610, which says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So in this verse, particularly verse 10, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Paul is really doing two things. One is that he's really wrapping up and bringing to a head everything that has been said up until now in Ephesians, and he's also launching us into the final section of Ephesians, the remainder of section six, where he is talking about standing, standing against the schemes of the devil. And if you remember, we've talked earlier on uh, when I've been teaching about this notion, a book that Watchman Nee wrote entitled Sit, Walk, Stand, really looking at the first part of Ephesians addressing our need to learn how to rest in and sit in the accomplished work of Christ. And in the middle of Ephesians, how we as believers need to learn to walk in the truth that we have learned and and have in Christ. And now moving into this last section of standing in the work that he has done. So today we're really going to look at answering three questions. The first question is, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? The second Why are we not strong at times? And the third, how can we be strong all the time? So let's look at what does it mean to be strong? Paul tells us to be strong, but he starts this passage or this particular verse with the word finally. And so finally, in conclusion, therefore, when you see a word like that in scripture, it's really telling you to stop and look back. Stop and look back at everything that's been said before this, because he's about to say something that is going to wrap up what has been said so far. In light of the facts that I've just given, the writer is saying, this is a common technique 
in light of everything I've just saying, here, let me tell you the conclusion. Let me tell you the point. Really, Paul is telling us that this verse is telling us it needs to be understood. What it means to be strong in the Lord has got to be understood in light of everything that has been said up until verse 10 in chapter 6. It's a call to live out the gospel of life in Jesus. Paul has shared with the Ephesians everything that he could up till this point to enlighten them, to teach them, to encourage them, to challenge them in their following of Jesus. He had given them all of the knowledge that he knew that he could give them. He has turned them to the Spirit, and he has challenged them to rest in the accomplishment of Christ and to walk in the light of all that Christ has done. Wrapping it up one last time and saying, here is the point. Um, and, and moving us on into this notion of standing, which is really what Richie will start teaching on next week. But today, let's remember that being strong in the Lord, that standing against the schemes of the devil is entirely dependent, 100% dependent on first learning to live in the truths and reality of what Christ has done, of who you are in Jesus Christ, and of walking in this life in a manner that is worthy of that calling that each of us has been given in Christ. This is just a quote from Watchman Nee about this. He says, For no Christian can hope to enter the warfare of the ages without learning first to rest in Christ and in what he has done. And then, through the strength of the Holy Spirit within, to follow him in a practical, holy life here on earth. But today we're going to keep our focus just on that verse 10. What's it mean to be strong? The word strong here as, it, as it's used in Ephesians is an endunamo is what the word is in Greek. And this word means to be filled with inherent, active, achieving power. It's the same power that Jesus had when he would raise someone from the dead and perform a supernatural miracle. It was that power in Jesus that Paul is telling us is the strength that we can have in the Lord. It is a strength that comes from outside of us. It is not a strength that we can conjure up, not a strength that we have within ourselves. It is from someone or some source outside of us. And when Paul encourages the believers to be strong in the Lord, he's calling on us to a call of dependence, to abiding in Christ, to trusting in the Lord's power for everything, everything in this life. True Christian strength, truly being strong in the Lord, comes from recognizing our utter dependence on God. It's what Paul meant in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Philippians 4:13, where he says, I can do all things, all things Paul is saying, through him who strengthens me. John MacArthur puts it this way. John MacArthur says, ultimately, Satan's power over Christians is already broken. And the great war is won through Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, which forever conquered the power of sin and death. However, in life on earth, battles of temptation go on regularly. The Lord's power, the strength of his spirit, and the force of biblical truth are required for victory. That is what it means to be strong in the Lord, that we trust in him and keep expecting victory even when we see setbacks, because we know that when we are in him, the battle is already won. 
We're assured of ultimate victory no matter how bleak things look at any moment in time because we know what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection and we know that we as believers have all the power of God in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Paul wraps up this idea of what does it mean to be strong, the reality and understanding of that in Romans 8 where he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So that is what it means scripturally, biblically, what Paul is telling us and defining for us what it means to be strong in the Lord. So let's look at the second question. Why are we at times not strong? Let's look at that. We're gonna, there's lots of reasons, to be honest, if you just kind of sit down and self-reflect, but we're going to look at five real quickly, just looking at five different reasons why we as believers sometimes are not strong, why we sometimes do not rely on the strength of his might. The first one, we may have an incorrect understanding of reality. We simply don't understand it, or we do understand it, and honestly, sometimes we just forget. We forget who God really is. We forget who we really are in him. And to be honest, this is really easy to do. I know for me, just in the course of daily life, I get busy with my day. I get busy with the things on my plate. I get busy with life. I get busy with relationships. And I just start kind of getting into doing things in my own strength. And honestly, I know the truth. I sometimes forget it. So it may be that sometimes some are still learning and newer in their faith and learning to trust and understand who God is and who you are in Christ. And for some of us who have learned that just in our hearts and in our minds and the Spirit has revealed that truth to us, sometimes in reality, we simply forget in the course of the day. We either don't know or sometimes we forget that God is immortal, that He is eternal. He's outside time and space. He is the Creator and that we are not, that we are mortal, that we are like James says in chapter four, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is our life? For we are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Maybe we don't know, or maybe we forget that God is sovereign and we are not in control. The circumstances of life swirl around us every single day, and sometimes we honestly just forget that he is in control despite the swirling of life around us, that his will, his eternal purpose will always be accomplished despite what's going on around us, that in his time and in his way, he will bring it to pass. Versus, for me, this is, my family calls it business mode. This is when at home, I have a mission, I have a project, I have something I'm working on, and by gosh, don't get in my way, because I'll run over you. I will push you out of the way. I will just, I just get too focused on what I want to do, on my strength, on my goals, on my purpose, and I have cut God out of it altogether. And 
that's just a, that's a wrong on my part, and I forget who God is, and I forget who I am in Him. But very human. Very human. Amen, Paul. That's very human. We forget, or maybe we don't understand, that God is sovereign, that we are not in control, that He is loving, that we are selfish. J.I. Packer puts it this way. Every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us and comes to us for the furthering of God's purpose for us. Even when we cannot see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them. And so we can always rejoice, even when, humanly speaking, things are going wrong. Verses, again, on our side, our inclination at times to grumble, to show discontent or even resentment at the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Or perhaps we are distrustful or fearful of the circumstances of life or allowing ourselves to grow cool, to grow half-hearted, to devote our loyalties split between God and what's going on in our lives. In other words, there are times, honestly, where we are just plain selfish. When our eyes are on ourselves, our circumstances, how they feel, how they impact us, we lose strength because our eyes are not on Christ, our eyes are on us. Our eyes are on our circumstances. And when they are, we are not strong in the Lord. We are not relying on his life in us. We might not know or we might forget that he's the savior, that we are the ones who are saved and that his saving grace and love is sufficient for us. That he is holy, that we are sinful. That he is good, that we are inherently evil prior to salvation. The truth is that we often lose sight of these realities. And when we do, we're not strong in the Lord or in the strength of his might. So for us to be truly strong in him, we must have an accurate understanding, a supernatural revelation of who God is and who we are in him. Number two, we actually think we're strong when we're not. This is one of the favorite ploys, honestly, of Satan and of our fallen nature, of our flesh. This is when you and I buy into the lie that we can follow Christ, that we can please God, that we can serve God in our own strength, that I've got it. I've got this. Don't worry, God. I got it. I can fix this. I can deal with whatever this is that's coming up. Circumstances, I got it, God. I'm in control. Just by applying more effort, by working harder, by doing better, it's not going to work. That is a mistaken attitude on our part. And it can be, frankly, sometimes coming out of arrogance or sometimes, frankly, out of ignorance. But either way, it is still just a lie. Look at, what, uh, Pete, look at Peter himself in Matthew 26. This is, quote, Then Jesus told them, the disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I will never do that. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Well, we all know how that story ended up. They had no clue. Peter not only denied the Lord, but he did it vehemently three times. He was attempting to follow Jesus in his own strength. 
He was saying, I can do this. I got this. He was saying, I would never, ever deny the Lord. I'm better than that. In fact, I'm even better than these other guys. They may deny you. I will never deny you. But the Lord knew, knew his heart, knew his sin, knew that Peter and the others had to realize that they were failures, that they had no strength on their own to follow him. Relying on their own strength was a losing proposition. You and I need to learn that same harsh lesson that we cannot follow the Lord on our own strength. We don't have it. We need his strength in us to follow him, to be strong in the Lord. Number three, follow, uh, when we're isolated and alone. When I really sat down and kind of reflected on times when I am distant from the Lord, when I don't have my eyes focused on him, when I am feeling kind of even drawn towards sin, I realized that it's really sometimes when I am literally alone, when I am isolated, when I am by myself. We need each other. God designed you and I to need each other. As Christians, we are designed to be part of his body. This goes all the way back to creation, to the very first creative act of God. In Genesis 2, where God says, Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The design from the very beginning of creation was for us to be together. Being with other believers is a core reality of God's kingdom, Old Testament and New Testament. Look in Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And Ecclesiastes 4, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I just went on a hike yesterday with uh, four other guys, and all of us were 50 or above. Wonderful hike up in the mountains above Santa Barbara. And it was a great example, honestly, of needing one another. So these are, we're all a bunch of old guys, and we're out taking us, Robert took us out to this field of monster boulders and we're climbing these boulders and shimmying up and we're pushing each other up and pulling each other up because none of us could kind of make it on our own. And it was just a great example to me of this principle that we, and that translates into the church, we need one another to help each other up, to push each other up, to help one another in this life of following Jesus. And remember how Paul put it in Ephesians 4, where he says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's you and me, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. We need each other. God designed us that way. He designed us to be part of his body, and when I am disconnected, when I am alone and not connected to you, I am not strong in the Lord. The fourth reason, sometimes, honestly, we sin. We deliberately, knowingly, we do things, we say things, we don't do things, we choose things that separate us from God. We want control for one reason or another. We want what we want when we want it. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. A man, by his sin, may waste himself, which is to waste that which on earth is most like God. 
This is man's greatest tragedy and God's heaviest grief. This one, honestly, is just pretty straightforward. It's not complicated. When we sin, when we intentionally separate ourselves from the Lord, we are not strong in Him, period. And lastly, sometimes our faith is weak when it should be strong. When we know the truth, when we've seen the evidence of God, of His love, of His faithfulness, but honestly, we just don't trust Him in a particular set of circumstances. In Matthew 8, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And they, the disciples, went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. At this point, the disciples had been with Jesus long enough that they had seen him heal, they had seen him perform miracles, they had heard him teach, and they knew that he was more than capable of calming this storm. But in the immediacy of the circumstances, they frankly were just overwhelmed. It was overwhelming to them, and they were unable at that moment to trust the Lord. How often do you feel that way? Just in the midst of life. When life is tough, when life is difficult, and the circumstances are not easy for you, and we just unfortunately sometimes take our eyes off of the Lord. I know when I feel that way, sometimes I just get spiritual amnesia. My eyes have blinders on them. I can only see what's going on right in front of me. And I know when that happens, I know the truth, but I can't apply it at the moment. And when that happens, Uh, I am not strong in the Lord. What an opportunity, though, when that happens, just to see as a time to refocus our eyes and refocus our our, our hearts back on Jesus. So sometimes we are not strong in the Lord because one or more of these reasons, of course, there's lots more, but these are some of the common ones that we find struggling to have him be the strength of his might. So we've looked at what it means to be strong. We've looked at some reasons why we're not strong. So let's turn our attention to the last question. How can we be strong all the time? Paul's exhortation in Ephesians 6 is built on the emphasis of an inward growth of the believer and the church. All of Ephesians is focused on this same thing. How do we, as believers, gain and maintain an inward life ourselves and as his church, that is fully dependent on Christ. We're going to look at just four practical strategies to do that. One, start with a correct understanding of who God is and who we are in Christ. That is the foundation to build upon. The Bible is clear from the beginning to the end of who God is. It's crystal clear on who you are and who I am, who we are, both before we have put our faith in him as well as who we are in Christ after we have believed. There's no confusion, there's no mystery, and Paul has laid it out in glorious unity, uh, clarity, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 1, 1 through 6, 9. Now he is saying, in light of who God is, who you are, who I am, who we are in him, be strong. Paul is saying to the Ephesians and to you and I, that we all need to receive the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, of the knowledge of him. This is a supernatural revelation. We talk about that all the time here. From the spirit of God, it is not about Jesus, it is knowledge of him. 
that we need the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we can truly know him. Not about him, but know him and know the hope to which he has called us. To know the eternal and supernatural life that he has given us. He's not just made us alive. He has put his life in the Holy Spirit in you and I. And to know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So the key to understanding what it means to be strong is how Paul puts it in verse 10 where he says that it is in the Lord. It's not of the Lord. It's not by the Lord. It is in the Lord. It is only when you and I, when our lives are positioned in the Lord, in union with him, do we possess the appropriate power to overcome the enemy. We must realize and live in the light of this truth that God's way, that God's will that his design is that we, be, that we can do nothing apart from Christ. This is Jesus' words in John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch, you cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you want to be strong, if you as a believer want to be strong, The only place you will be that is in Christ. We must first learn to abide, to live, to dwell, to continue without fading in Christ. The Father is glorified by you and I bearing fruit, but we cannot do that if we're not abiding. If we have what looks like fruit, if we have good works, if we have right attitudes, if we are actually a good person, but we're not doing those things from an abiding position in Christ, it's not true fruit of the Spirit and the Father is not glorified. So how do we do this? How do we do those things? Really very simple ways. These ways are things you've heard over and over and over again, but it's not the act of doing it. It's the act of being in Christ while doing it. The first, be in the Bible every single day. Let the truth, the revelation the light that comes from God's word, from scripture, enlighten your heart and enlighten your mind through the speaking of the Holy Spirit in you. Second, talk. Talk to God. We call it praying. But again, sometimes just this word pray, our minds just move into some kind of a different mode. It's just talking to your father. On our Bible study, men's Bible study last Tuesday night, we were talking about prayer and one of the guys on the, uh, on the Bible study talked about, we were talking about how do you talk? What kind of words do you use when you pray? And one of the brothers shared, because of a wonderful relationship that he had with his earthly father, he said, you know, when I pray to God, and frankly, I'm still learning how to do that, I just pretend I'm talking to my dad. That's how he just thinks of it. Just a calm, casual, loving, open conversation with his father. But pray, talk, converse, listen, share, ask with God every day. 
be in scripture, talk to your father, and lastly, be in community. We talked about that. Spend time, take time, make time to be with one another, the family of God. We help each other all the time to have and maintain a correct understanding of who God is. And I'm going to leave you with a challenge, and there's going to be a couple of more coming. Um, I want to challenge you this week to start every single time that you pray, whether you're praying with your uh, child, you're praying with a spouse, you're praying before a meal, every time that you pray, start by thinking and meditating and verbalizing who God really is, who you are in Christ before you ask anything else. Let the scripture and the Holy Spirit bring your mind and your heart to the truths of God's nature, the reality of who you are, both being lost but being saved, and that you are in Christ and now sitting in him. The second strategy, embrace the work of sanctification in our lives. You know, once we begin this journey of following Jesus, the rest of our lives till the day we die, it's a process of sanctification of growth, of transformation, of metamorphosis into the likeness of Christ. Ephesians 4 puts it that we will become mature into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We will become more like him. We will do this by putting our old selves to death and allowing the Christ, the life of Christ to be in us. Listen to this quote from Oswald Chambers. The most wonderful secret of living a holy life which is being strong, does not lie in imitating Jesus, but lies in the perfect qualities of Jesus exhibiting themselves in my human flesh. Sanctification is Christ in you. It is the gift of his patience, his love, his holiness, his faith, his purity, his godliness that is exhibited in and through every sanctified soul. Sanctification is not drawing from Jesus the power to be holy. It is drawing from Jesus the very holiness that was exhibited in him and that now he exhibits in me. Sanctification is an impartation, not an imitation. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. It's not anything we can do by ourselves. We simply need to make ourselves available to allow, to seek, to pursue to let God do this work of transformation. A quote from Andrew Murray. Do not strive in your own strength. Cast yourself at the feet of Jesus and wait upon him in the sure confidence that he is with you and that he works in you. Strive in prayer. Let faith fill your heart so you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Our role We simply need to ask. We need to be available. James says that we don't receive from God because we don't ask. Jesus tells us in John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in, in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Here's the second challenge. Ask God every day this week to do his work of sanctification in your heart and in your mind that day. Start your day that way. We'll look at these at the end. 
Challenge number one, start every prayer this week with uh, just remembering who God is and who you are in Christ. Challenge number two, ask God every day this week to do his work of sanctification. Give him permission, invite him to do that work in your heart and your mind. The third strategy, when we are weak. Miles Stanford in his book, The Green Letters, says this, if only I were stronger, we say, I could overcome my violent outbursts of temper or throw any other sinful behavior in there. So we plead with the Lord to strengthen us that we may exercise more self-control. Lord, help me, give me the strength to be strong, to not do whatever it is I'm doing. But this is altogether wrong. This is not Christianity. God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger and stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. This is surely a peculiar way of victory, you say, but it is the divine way. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him, not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. Honestly, this is really a mystery. It goes against everything in you and everything in me. It particularly violates our Western mindset of self-determination, the Protestant work ethic, our rugged individualism. I don't know about you, but when I feel weak, I think something is wrong. That's, a, that's just what most of us think. When we feel weak, something's got to be wrong. I need to be stronger. And that is just not the truth. We think that we need to be strong, that we need to regain control. We need to fix whatever's going on. This is all part of the original lie that Satan brought to Adam and Eve, that we can be like God. We can't. This appeals, this lie appeals to our pride, which is often at the core of thinking that we need to be strong as opposed to letting the Lord put our old man to death and then letting him, Jesus, be our life and our strength. Listen to Charles Stanley. He says, no one enjoys feeling weak, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, or physically. There's something within the human spirit that wants to resist the thought of weakness. Many times, this is nothing more than our human pride at work. Just as weakness carries a great potential for strength, Pride carries an, un, an equally great potential for defeat. But God showed us his divine way, his way of being strong in the midst of difficulty. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul is saying, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul had every reason on earth to be proud, every reason to be strong in his own strength. 
And this was such a strong tendency and inclination in his life that the Lord found it necessary to give him a thorn in his flesh, a constant reminder day and night that he was not strong, that he was weak, and had to rely entirely on the strength of the Lord to survive the challenges that Paul faced every day in following Jesus. And it wasn't easy. This thorn that Paul had was so difficult that Paul begged the Lord three times, Lord, please, please take this away. I'll be fine. I will love you with all my heart. This is killing me. And the Lord's response to him, no. My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, I know you need this. I know without this, you will become proud. And I love you so much. And I have so much grace for you. For every moment of every day that I'm not going to take this away. Because only when you, Paul, are weak, will my power be made perfect in you and through you. That's God's call to you and to me. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. Scripture doesn't tell us. But for sure, it was something really difficult. It was very burdensome. It was frustrating. It was maybe even embarrassing. We don't know. But do you have something like that in your life? Is there some set of circumstances? Is there some circumstance in your life that the Lord has allowed that is just really, really hard? If there is, the Lord's call is to be comfortable in it, to embrace it even, to rejoice in it, because it brings you to a place of weakness. It brings you to a place where you are beyond yourself, where you are overwhelmed, where you are unable to cope, because it is then and only then that you will be able to fall into his arms you will be able to let him be your strength, to let him be your life, and the one who leads and carries you through every day. So this is my third challenge. First one, pray every more. Every time you pray this week, start with acknowledging who God is and who you are. Two, and I already forgot the second one. We'll come back to it, but <laughs> ask every God every day to do his work of sanctification in your life. And three, Pray every morning this week, Lord, show me today how I am weak so that you, you, Jesus, can be my strength. And lastly, we're almost done, cultivating a, de a dependent heart. To cultivate means to acquire, to develop something. Could be a skill, could be a garden, could be a quality. But you and I have acquired the Holy Spirit, and our what we need to do is to cultivate, to develop, and grow in our reliance on him. And how do we do that? We can cultivate a dependent heart when we seek him. Look at Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. The psalmist tells us to seek the Lord and his strength at all times, to seek his presence continually. 
So look at the priorities of your life. I, looked at, I need to look at mine, how you spend your time. How you, what do you think a lot about? What do you spend your money on? What is really, really important to you? These things tell us about what we seek. But for Jesus, our example, his priorities were clear. He says in John, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus' priority was to do the will of his Father and to please his Father. That needs to be our heart, to seek his kingdom first, his righteousness, because God knows what we need. Seek him first before anything else in our lives. Secondly, we can cultivate a dependent heart when we remember I know when I'm personally struggling to trust the Lord, it really helps me a lot to look back, to remember, to remember what? First, to remember what I know about truth in Scripture, to turn to the truth in the Word, to feast on that truth, to let it change my perspective, to let it change my mind, to let it change my heart, to align me with God again. In Ephesians Paul has given us in chapters 1 through 6, 9, enormous truths of the gospel in the first two or three chapters. A long list of imperatives, of truths, of walking in the Spirit that we can turn to and let that truth turn our hearts and our minds back to Christ. To refresh our memories, reading these truths in Scripture over and over again. And secondly, to remember the many, many things that the Lord has done in and around your life that proves his existence, that proves his life, his faithfulness, his love, his power. When I take time to look back in scripture or take time to look back at the Lord's faithfulness in my past, it helps renew my mind and get my focus back on him to develop and cultivate a dependent heart. Third, we can uh, develop and cultivate a dependent heart when we are content, when we are thankful. Paul says in Philippians 4, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abind, abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul talks about this being something that he has learned in every situation to be content. That should be our goal, to cultivate a dependent heart, asking the Lord for the grace to be content in all of our circumstances. This again is one of those things that just flies in the face of our culture. Our world tells us that we never have enough, that we shouldn't be content, that happiness is only found in getting more and more. That is also a lie. In Christ, when we are in his spirit, we can and will be content regardless of our circumstances because of all that has been accomplished in Christ and all that God has promised us in the future, we can be joyful and thankful in whatever the Lord brings our way. And lastly, we can cultivate a dependent heart when we give glory to God. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards 
of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So this really brings us right back to the beginning, having a true and accurate view of who God is, that he is God and we are not, that we are his people and that we are entirely dependent on him for everything, every day. And it is from this posture and this posture alone that we will be strong in the Lord. So I want to leave you as we transition into taking uh, communion and taking the Lord's Supper. Um, we're going to bring up those three challenges. Eileen, if you can put those up. And um, while we're just getting ready to take the Lord's Supper, I really would like you to just kind of review those and make a commitment in your heart to the Lord to do at least one of these things uh, this week. Write it down. Put it in your phone. Make a mental note of it. If you can do them all, that's even better. But make a commitment to the Lord that yes, Lord, I want your life in me. Yes, Lord, I want to depend and grow in my faith this week. And this is a, one thing that I'm going to do to be doing that. Um, so as you consider today, as we move into communion, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that sacrifice was to bring us into this relationship with him, to bring us into this position of abiding in and trusting in him so that as a result of his work on the cross, we can, in fact, be strong in the Lord. So um, I encourage you to, if you didn't get one of the little cups, um, Bill's got some. If you could raise your hand, if you need one, uh, he'll bring it around to you. And when you take the Lord's Supper, uh, in a minute, Vinny and Shiloh are going to come up and, and be singing while we take it. Uh, remember to open the uh, little side with the wafer in it before the juice. And I'm just going to pray before we uh, move into communion. So, Lord Jesus, Father in heaven, thank you so much for having sent your son. Thank you, Jesus, for having come, having come into this world to be a man, to suffer, to die. Thank you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you for the truth that we have been blessed because you chose us, Lord, in you to believe. Lord, we celebrate Jesus. We celebrate the name of Jesus. We lift up and praise him for his sacrifice on the cross. And we thank you for what that means for us today in being able to live in and abide in and walk in the truths of scripture and of the Holy Spirit in us. So Father, come and be with us as we celebrate your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>